In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This is the third Sunday of Mashir, but it's also the last Sunday before the Great Lent. And today's gospel reading relates to one of the distinguishing qualities of Christian spirituality, namely to perform your good deeds, almsgiving, fastings, and prayers with the aim of pleasing God and not men. This section of scripture is from the most loftiest, beautiful, and majestic scripture ever given, which is called the Sermon of the Mount. If anyone wants to see an introduction to Christianity, a good starting point is to read the Sermon on the Mount captured in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. I knew a few people too that actually committed these three chapters to memory, and they say it in the spirit of prayer to themselves. The verse right before today's section of scripture says, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. A call, of course, to be like God in holiness, love, humility, and sanctity. Scripture is everywhere telling us that good works are required to be performed by the Christian in faith and in love for God. But as soon as we begin to do these good works that God commands us to do, works of love, works of sacrifice and giving, works to help us progress in the spiritual life, we're immediately faced with the first temptation, vainglory from other people, that we may receive praise for such works and performing um, by performing the, com- the commandments. He focuses on three things, giving, fasting, and prayer. Similarly, in the Gospel of St. Luke, in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, he kind of emphasizes the same point. The Pharisee was proud and feeling righteous, thanking God that he wasn't like the others because he fasted twice a week and gave 10% of all that he possessed. That story is in Luke chapter 18. He cared more about feeling um, that he was better than others than feeling um, or seeking God's uh, uh, approval. Um, pleasing God should be the priority, but instead it was about pleasing himself, feeling that he was better than the other. He says, take heed, be careful, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. But does this verse seem to contradict the previous verse uh, in in the previous chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew, which says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Of course, there is no contradiction, but in today's gospel, the intents of the heart are what matters, which is why he adds to be seen by them. It may be impossible, of course, to do the good works in secret. Um, Sometimes we just can't hide the good works. In fact, God wants to reveal the good works as a benefit to others. And just because somebody else sees it, it doesn't mean that we stop doing the good works. You know, we got to do good works in season and out of season before people and not before people. But what really matters is the intent. So notice that he doesn't say, do not do charitable deeds before men, but only if the intent is to be seen by them. So it's not the deed itself, which which only we're required to do, but also the intent behind the deed, which matters. Um, It's also why St. Paul in Galatians has a beautiful and a very simple formula uh, where he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. These are the three legs of any stool. If you take away one, the stool falls. Faith, works, and love. Faith without works and love is useless, even for securing salvation. As in the the epistle of St. James, it's very clear. And also in the epistles of St. Paul, as well as the other epistles, as well as the gospels, it's all pretty consistent with regard to uh, faith alone will not be enough for securing salvation. Love without actions, 
that express that love and in faith is also useless. What good is love if we don't act on that love? What good is love when we don't sacrifice for others? And works, of course, without faith and without love is useless. A good work has to be done in faith and in love. Otherwise, it disqualifies the good work. Faith that God, of course, is the rewarder of good works, that he sees everything and that he's present everywhere, and that he, he can give from what already, we give what already belongs to him. Love in that you're doing good work, not to please others, but to show that we are somehow righteous. Not to show that we're somehow righteous, but simply because we love God, and for Him only do we do what we do. It's not to show uh, to show off in front of others. It's not to please others. Uh, it's not to make ourselves feel better, but it's only to God's glory and to love for other people. That's why we do the works that we do. Uh, so it's to his glory and not our own, because if we do anything good, it's because he's doing it through us. It's not our own works, but his works. And uh, we're just allowing him to work through us to do the good work that needs to be done. Without him, of course, we can do nothing. We can do no good work without him. So a Christian knows that, knows that deep and through and through, that whenever a good work is done, it's not our own. It's just the reality and the truth of the matter. But it is God from whom all good things come. So your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So the rewards are to those who seek his glory and approval and not the approval of others. So it's not just the works, but it's the intention of the action that can qualify or disqualify the action, the intention behind why we're doing it. For example, you may often find people who give to the poor or orphans or to the sick, but uh, could be doing it to show off in front of others. Like a lot of politicians do that. I know a lot of politicians in in um uh, you know in my career that I knew that did the work for for the right reasons but I also seen people do it for the wrong reasons and their only reason was to secure votes and to uh you know just get out there and uh make sure everybody sees their works they they really have less care about the poor or the needy than more care about people seeing that they are helping and so this is the worst thing, of course, that someone can take the terrible situation of those that are in need and use it somehow as a show, helping them to get credit rather than because they have some kind of love or pity or affection towards them, or more loftier, it's uh, for God himself. Um, it's not the giving only, but the giving as we ought to give that matters. For God's glory, of course, and, and to trust that he sees in secret and rewards openly. And when our actions are seen by others, which they will be, of course, there's, uh, it's only in a short time, sometimes in this life, but definitely in the time to come, it will be seen. Our work will be seen by all, by angels and by men. We, we will become a spectacle to all as we are currently. We look in that secret place in our heart to be sure that our intentions are pure whenever we uh, begin to do any kind of good action. So he puts inside of us the same spirit when it comes to fasting. Our church, of course, has many fasting occasions. In fact, uh, if you fast in all the church calendar events, uh, we fast more than half the year in our Coptic Orthodox Church, not to mention our own personal fasts that many of us do. And it is a good deed, of course, that benefits our spiritual salvation, and it's commanded by Scripture in both the Old and the New Testament. For example, fasting is the earliest commandment known to mankind in Genesis chapter 2 when God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree. 
Also, the giants in the Old Testament all fasted, like Daniel, David, Elijah, Esther, Nehemiah, and whole communities such as the time of Esther, Nineveh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and at the time of Joel. And in the time of Joel, it says in Joel chapter 2, where God says, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. And even the apostles and St. Pa uh, Paul, as shown in Acts and in the epistles, all fasted. And as Christ, when they fasted, uh, when he fasted, was tempted on the mountain, quoted Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 30, when he said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even in our church history, we know that fasting is a powerful ally and prayer and fasting is a uh, accompanied all of our church history throughout the 2000 year history. Uh, for example, in the fourth century, the Arians took over all the churches. And uh, it's only when the churches uh, as a community came together and fasted, the whole church, when they fasted, God intervened in a miraculous way and the Christians were restored their churches. It happened again in the 11th century as another example in the face of annihilation of the Muslim leader who said that faith could not move mountains and God intervened. And after the people fasted for three days, indeed the mountain was moved. By abstaining from food, man rises above the level of the body and above matter. And this is the wisdom behind fasting. And when we fast as a community, it is proof of our oneness of spirit in worship and in approaching God. Those who are spiritual rejoice so much that fasting, uh, the general fasts are not sufficient for them. And then they go to their father confessor and they ask if they can prolong their fast. It allows the spiritual depth by focusing on God who is spirit and all who approach him must worship him and, and approach him in spirit and in truth and not carnally. And so fasting helps us to do that. Uh, when we start the fast tomorrow, uh, for the Lent fast, for the Great Lent fast, let's remember the powerful benefit of fasting. Let's also remember that false types of fasting, like the type that our Lord mentions, fasting for self-praise, fasting, uh, for example, fasting is not the goal, right? But the true aim, of course, is to come closer to God. Any other motivation makes it invalid. There's a story of a judgmental man who once was fasting and he was annoyed with those around him who were not fasting. And so he went to his father confessor and said, all these people around me are, are not fasting. I'm fasting and they're making my life miserable. Why aren't they fasting? You know, they should be fasting. And he was very judgmental on everyone else around him. So the father confessor brought, told him to wait and he went in the kitchen and brought him uh, some chicken. And he put him in front of him to the amazement of the young man. And he said, eat the chicken. And he said, sir, but it's fasting, father. And he said, eat it. And so the young man ate it. And then he said, so now, are you? did you break your fast? And he said, yes. And he said, can you judge your brother now? He said, no. And they said, you're better now when you broke your fast than you were when you were fasting and judging others. So fasting can become false. It can become a stumbling block. We should, of course, keep it with the aim of getting closer to God and approaching him in spirit and truth. That is the point of fasting. Fasting itself is not the goal. So proper fasting is a sacred period which belongs to God and devoted entirely to Him. It is a time when God's presence is very visible in your behavior. 
It's a time which your relationship with God increases and grows in a spiritual exaltation, which makes you long to stretch your fast longer. If you have that feeling at the end of your fast that you want to prolong it, then that means you're, you're beginning to taste the benefits of fasting. Um, we shouldn't pause at the formalities of fasting, but delve it into its depths. You know, fasting is neither, uh, it's not a set of formalities or ordinances. It's just a blessing given to us by God and organized by the church for our own spiritual benefit to enlighten and train our souls of the idealism that we should follow. Because as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, holiness, which out with, without which no one will see the Lord. So fasting, of course, helps us to obtain that with, of course, the goal being seeing and being with God. So it's, it's not all about the food. It's not really about the food. It's just a step to get to God. St. John Chrysostom says, for example, let the mouth too fast from disgraceful speeches and railing. For what does it profit if we abstain from birds and fishes and yet bite and devour our brothers? The evil speaker eats the flesh of his brother and bites the body of his neighbor. Such people have broken their fast. Again, in this reading of today, he puts that same spirit inside of us when it comes to prayer. We know that prayer is the twin sister of fasting. You won't find one without the other. Here again, we see that our Lord mentions that prayer, like performing good deeds, should be done in that secret place. Of course, it's impossible to always pray in a secret and and then alone and in a closet. Otherwise, we can never pray together or, or pray at church. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is, of course, a communal prayer. It's meant to be said together. It does not say, my Father who is in heaven, but our Father. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. So then where is the secret place? The secret place, of course, is in the heart where the intentions lie, where the intentions reside. Our prayers are to God who dwells in our hearts in that secret place of all who are baptized into Christianity. That place belongs inside of us. It's not to show off how many prayers or hymns are memorized. And, um, you know, memorization is just a tool. It's not the goal itself. Although memorizing prayer and hymns and psalms are, of course, beneficial when praying from the heart, that's from the secret place. It's not the memorization, but how we pray what's memorized that matters. It's not to repeat the same words again and again to show off that many that we know many prayer words or that we know many hymns in our church, because our church has a lot of hymns. But um, is it to show off that we know how, how many hymns and, and prayers we know? Of course not. Those words will be vain. However, we can repeat the same prayer as many times as we want, as long as it's prayed from the heart. Just like Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he taught us in the parable of the persistent widow and the friend who woke up the person sleeping with multiple requests. So prayer, uh, repeating the same words, of course, is beneficial as Christ taught us. But of course, again, as today's lesson shows, that it has to be prayed from the heart. These things make sense when you think about them. God cares about the intent, cares about our heart. It's all about the inner person where God is and where he is concerned about. It is that secret place between us, between you and him inside of you. It's only that place that that only you two, only the human being and God can talk to each other and reside together. It's possible to go pray in a closet, and if not sincere, it won't benefit, it won't benefit us. Which is why he says in Proverbs 23, My son, give me your heart. Then he teaches them the prayer of all prayers, the Lord's Prayer. 
in the ladies book club meeting we had on Tuesday, we talked about uh, prayer at length. One of the most important things we talked about was creating a rule for prayer in our lives, no matter how small that rule. That rule should be sustainable and consistent, no matter how small it is. For example, in the Didache, written in the first or second century, it's recommended to pray the Lord's Prayer at least three times a day. So pray in the morning, maybe before lunch, and before you sleep. The Lord's Prayer. And if that's consistent, that can be the basic rule you have in your life. If we can teach our kids to do that on their own, that's a great step forward. And then on top of that, they build um, on with additional prayers from there. Oftentimes, we see many who try to tackle too much, similar to to the New Year's resolution, people hit the gym in January, but because of the difficulty, they don't last till February. And here we are in February. I don't know how many of us actually lasted uh, till there. I could tell you I didn't, but uh, that's because we take on too much and uh, we get disheartened uh, as time goes by. But uh, it's better to take it slow and have it consistent in our lives. Like for example, the Lord's Prayer three times a day and some personal prayers and work our way up from that. Maybe later with some Psalms. Uh, Of course, the Psalms have been used for thousands of years as a prayer guide, and there are no other words better than the words of God to speak with God. Maybe the Desert Fathers, uh, when they uh, use the Jesus Prayer, which uh, has within it three main important concepts, God's holiness and glory, our sinful condition, and his love and mercy, which connects the two and closes the gap between our condition and his greatness. The Lord's, the uh, Jesus prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The rule that applies to you can be obtained through guidance and through the Confession Father, of course. That rule will vary from person to person, and it should always be with the goal of trying to increase that goal. But again, it's all about making it consistent. Um, prayer is prolonged present in the presence of God. So what is prayer? Prayer is prolonging your presence in front of the Lord. Thanksgiving for the things we have. We pray for repentance and humility. We pray for others, even when those uh, people that we pray for trouble us. We pray for mercy. We pray for glorification and praise. It is the supplications uh, that we ask for, but always asking for those supplications within God's will because he knows better than us, and we know that he cares and loves each of us. Time would escape us, of course, to talk in depth about the Lord's Prayer. It has within it an an affirmation that we are God's children and he is our Father, that he is majestic, dwelling in heaven at the same time at everywhere within creation, and even his name is holy, that his holy kingdom is coming, and his will, which is beyond searching, should be done irrespective of our requests, that we ask for moderation. We ask for moderate things, not only asking uh, for, uh, you know, the, the spiritual things, but we ask for the, the worldly things as well, but we ask for daily's bread. So we ask for the daily bread and not for the life uh, of excess, right? We don't ask for uh, more than what we need. And we ask for forgiveness and mercy routinely and to forgive others so that we may be forgiven. We ask for deliverance from temptation. We acknowledge the presence of our enemy, the devil, and we ask for deliverance from him. But we also acknowledge our confidence in God's limitless power and indescribable glory. We should pause and pray the Lord's Prayer slowly when we have the chance and ponder each of the phrases that are in it. Each of those elements of the Lord's Prayer can be a talk by itself.
But of all the beautiful points in the Lord's Prayer, if one looks immediately after teaching the apostles to pray using this model of all prayers, he elaborates on only one of these points. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness of sins comes only when we forgive others. It's not an even equal deal. Our sins towards God is greater in offense than our sins against each other. Yet God is willing to trade nevertheless our forgiveness of others for God's forgiveness of us. When we forgive, we show love. If we don't forgive, no matter our faith and no matter our works, because we don't lack the love to forgive, because there is no love, we will not benefit. There are times when it is difficult, of course. Nevertheless, we should pray that God gives us the ability to forgive. And the act of prayer for those who have actually hurt us is the first step in healing and forgive and forgiveness. So God grant us a blessed Lent as we begin fasting tomorrow. And um, we look to, as we look to the life-giving cross and resurrection of our Lord, to whom be the glory both now and forever. Amen.